Well, I want to invite you this morning, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. You can follow along with the screen before you if you'd rather do that. I want to continue today uh, to talk about our hearts. I want to talk about the promises of God that we so easily forget, the roots of those actions that that frankly we're not proud of, things like fear, anxiety, discontentment. If you were here three weeks ago when we began this little mini-series entitled Matters of the Heart, you'll remember that we began our time in the book of Matthew. We began our time in this sermon of Jesus known famously as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a sermon that cuts to our hearts. It's a sermon that reminds us of our need for a Savior. It's a sermon that calls us to a life of God-honoring obedience. And so we've been looking for the past few weeks about what this change of life looks like, these matters of the heart, as we've called them, these areas of our lives that need to be dealt with from the inside out. And once again, I confess to you this morning that, that I need this morning's word more than any of you. And so I invite you to listen in as I preach to my own heart, as I've been doing all week, but particularly this morning. And let's begin as we read Jesus' words. Listen as I read Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 21, reading down through verse 26. Jesus says, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that, who, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Today I want to talk about anger. Anger, we see it all around us. We we already lived in an angry world and then we came to 2020. And it seems that the anger has just piled on. People are angry. You and I are angry. We see anger in the news and in our communities over injustice and and politics and, and over the coronavirus. We are angry at our president. We are angry at our governor. We see anger in our homes through domestic abuse through child abuse. We even see anger even more frequently in the store, in the supermarket. 
anger in the mundane, right? We see that guy with, with, with 17 items getting in the line that says 12 items or less. And we say, come on, man. And then he needs a price check. And we get angry. And then there is traffic. Unfortunately, my kids can testify to my struggle with traffic and with anger on the road. Anger, anger, anger. Brothers and sisters, this passage that we just read of Jesus, these words that we just read of Jesus, this is not a passage for hotheads, but for humans. This is not a passage for those who just struggle with tempers. This is a passage for those of us who have a pulse. Because simply put, when we don't get our way, we get angry. Anger is part of our lives. It's part of all of our lives because anger is rooted in our hearts. But here's the thing. It doesn't have to be. It shouldn't be. At least not the sinful kind of anger that we're going to hone in on and speak of. We, as God's people, can respond differently. We ought to respond differently. Now, I know as I come to this text, as I come to this subject of anger, that that anger is a huge topic, that we can't possibly cover every angle that the Scriptures cover. I can recommend some excellent books to you that can give you further guidance and perhaps we'll press in with this subject down the road. But we can meditate on Jesus' teaching here for just a few minutes. We're not even going to get through what Jesus has to say about anger, but we'll challenge our hearts plenty for today. There are a number of passages we could have gone to. Proverbs 29, 22 A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Paul told the Galatians that fits of anger is a work of the flesh and that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He told the Colossians straight up to just put away your anger and James teaches us that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We could have gone to any of those passages, but we land here. Jesus' words about anger. And I want to simply consider for a few minutes as we begin to wrestle with this truth, this teaching rather, I want to consider two truths this morning. The first one is this. We are all struggling, recovering murderers. We are all struggling, recovering murderers. Let me explain what Jesus is doing here because it seems almost like Jesus is is contradicting the law of God, the law that we read earlier. He says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. 
Now, Jesus is not contradicting the law of God. He is God, and he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. He is taking the law a step further. And so Jesus is saying, you heard it said in the law and by the religious leaders and the teachers of your day that the physical act of murder alone is one that puts you in the perils of judgment. But I say to you, it doesn't take murder to fall short of God's standard. This is a love issue. This is a heart issue. And following me is so much deeper than you think. When Jesus says what he says here, it reminds me of a a, a movie that came out several years ago, a movie called uh, Minority Report. I suspect some of you have watched it. It's a very cool sci-fi movie, and it takes place in a, in a futuristic America where uh, there are these pre-crime units who, through sophisticated technology and these foretellers of the future, they, they arrest individuals before a crime is even committed. And so the opening scene to the movie is of a man who catches his wife with another man, and he is getting ready to kill her out of anger and Tom Cruise and his pre-crime unit, they arrive on the scene and they arrest him for the future murder of his wife. He hasn't committed any act yet. He says, what have I done? And yet he is guilty. And I love that idea in that movie because it gets us asking the question, at what point If a murderer is firing his gun to commit a crime and it jams, is he guilty? How about if he gets in a car accident on his way to his victim and he can't follow through, is he guilty? How about if he simply purchases the gun and and begins to plan but goes no further than that, is he guilty? What, What if the man just wants a person to die? Nothing more. He just hates him. Would he be guilty of anything? Would that be a sin? And what does Jesus say? That's all it takes. 1 John 3, verse 15. John echoes the teaching of his Savior. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, when Jesus first spoke these words on that mountainside, he was speaking to Jews and he was speaking of their relationship to one another. And when we receive these words out of the New Testament as the the new covenant people of God, we think first of Christians hating Christians. And while While that still applies, I think these words go further because in their widest scope, Jesus' words apply to all of our neighbors, to those whom we are called to love as ourselves. After all, in just a few verses, in verse 44, he will say, Jesus will say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And yet we are natural Haters, we are not natural lovers. 
Our anger so often and so easily results from solitary love for ourselves and lack of love for others and lack of love for God's glory. Getting back to Jesus' words here, when he uses the word angry, it is not the hot-headed, boiling point kind of anger. Now, Jesus is talking more pointedly about the slow-swelling resentment and bitterness that results in a lack of love. Verse 22, let me read it again. He says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Let's just look at some of those words. First of all, insults. Whoever insults his brother, that's the word raka. You can see probably if you have an ESV and there's a footnote there, uh, it, it means nobody. You're a brainless idiot, we might say. We don't normally say that. We don't say nobody, but we do say, one of the words that came to my mind is we do say whatever. Whatever. We casually just dismiss people indifferent to their needs, indifferent to their desires. And then the word fool, it's the Greek word moros, where we get our term moron. Idiot, we would say. We do say that from time to time and and scorn people, making them feel less important. We say these things either out loud or in our hearts because We don't love as we're called to love. And so I challenge you to think about your interactions with with others. Have you dismissed people by the things that you have said or you haven't said? Have you made sure that others have felt beneath you at times? Have you loved others better than yourself. You see, all of those things swirl around Jesus' words here concerning not murdering. Jesus reminds us that we all have the capacity to murder and that we murder by our lack of love. Paul, the apostle, understood this. He understood the inward gravity of his sin. And it's how a man who was so devoted to Jesus could say, I am the chief of sinners. And so Jesus' words invite us To do the same, one commentator says this, the command, do not murder, seems so simple. It is familiar. It protects us. And externally, at least, it's easy to observe, but Jesus comes to fulfill the law, to disclose its complete meaning to us, which is this, we must give up rage and contempt. We must be peaceful and make peace with both brothers and enemies, with those whom we offend and with those who wrongly take offense. You hear that statement as I hear that statement and you confess that Jesus' demands exceed my ability. I, I can't love like that. I just can't do it. And that's what the law of God does is it drives us to Jesus. It drives us to our need 
for Christ. Jesus came to love like this. He did love like this. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said as he hung unjustly on a cross for crimes he didn't commit, they had beat on him, they had spit on him, they had ridiculed him, and he says, Father, forgive them. First Peter 2 recounts that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore, his, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, my friends, he bore your sin, that a person who murders others in his heart might not be condemned to die as they deserve to be. He bore your sin, that a person who has trusted in that satisfaction might then be free and enabled to live and love as you are called. So yes, we are all struggling, recovering murderers. But that leads us to the good news. The gospel turns murderers into lovers. The gospel turns murderers into lovers. First, lovers of God. Notice that Jesus ties our lack of love to our relationship to God, our lack of love for others to our relationship to God. Reconciliation must be present in the house of God, Jesus says, between one another for your relationship with the Father to be made whole. And not just that, let me, let me spin this anger thing on its head for a moment and say that true love for God should produce in us at times some anger, some righteous anger. And we talked about this months ago, briefly, in another sermon where we talked about Paul's encouragement to the church at Ephesus to put on godly anger. Let me read some other passages, taking our cue from the psalmist. David in Psalm 26, I hate the assembly of evildoers. Again, in Psalm 31, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols. In other words, when we love and when we treasure the God who has made us, the God who has saved us, the one object of our anger is those who oppose him and oppose his glory and his righteousness. And so the psalmist in Psalm 97, 10 says, Oh, you who love the Lord hate evil. And so may we be righteously angry at injustice. May we be angry at abortion. May we be angry at racism. May we be angry at the brokenness of our world. Angry that things aren't as they should be. And willing to do whatever we can do in order to make them right. But our stance towards others, even towards our enemies, especially towards our brothers and sisters in the Lord, is one of love, patient, forbearing, gentle love. Brothers and sisters, this is hard. This is impossible without the gospel. But when it happens, when we love differently, even better than the world, They take notice. That's what Jesus says when he talks at the end of this chapter about loving our enemies. 
He says, if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. And so Jesus, through the gospel, calls us to a deeper love that's possible through the gospel. And so how does this happen? Well, it's a lifelong process, a lifelong struggle, but it begins with acknowledging your need and the urgency of your need begins with saying, I am angry. I am an angry, unloving person, clearly in love with myself and my own kingdom first by the way that I treat others. And I'm in need of rescue. I'm in need of change. So the gospel remedy through Jesus inevitably results in deep humility. We see who we are. We see that we are no different or more deserving than others. And we remember who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. He was that lamb who was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that it, before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. So it begins by acknowledging our need and the urgency of our need. And then, it begin, and then it continues by praying for our idols to be revealed, going even deeper. What are the roots of my anger? What are the roots of my lack of love and treating others the way that I do? Is it concern for my appearance, concern for my comfort, concern for control, concern for insecurity, reputation, recognition, respect? We begin to identify and target those things and and root them out by God's grace. And then we trust in God's sovereignty. Now, perhaps you're tired of me here, tired of me talking about God's sovereignty, but there's a reason that we in the Reformed Church talk so much about this word because how powerful and useful this truth is. Things are not out of control. God allows others, even others, to sin against us. He allows circumstances to boil us in order that his purposes might be revealed in us. Going back to that silly checkout line or or the traffic jam that I struggle with. The question is, why, why do I need to get out of there so quickly? My agenda is not king. God is king. And God put this person in front of me, this this soul who is made in his image, and they they may not know any hope, and they may be discouraged and, and searching. And so maybe I can give them a kind word rather than an impatient sigh. Maybe I can give them a smile rather than a stink eye. Maybe I can in some small way, reflect the God of love that I serve because I am no better. I need Jesus just as much as they. Therefore, I will not murder in my heart, but I will strive to love. Murderers at heart, and yet lovers by the way of the gospel. That's the good news this morning. In an angry world, brothers and sisters, Church of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to shine, 
to shine as people of patient and persistent love, not, not blown here and there and tossed about by uncertainties and insecurities and the fears and frustrations of our day, but firmly planted on the solid ground of Jesus and who he is. Oh, it's so simple, and yet it's so hard. May God give us the grace to love for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for these insightful, incisive words of Jesus that cut to our hearts. I know I'm reminded this morning of even the ways just 24 hours ago, less than 24 hours ago that I failed to love those around me, that I just let anger boil in my heart. Father, forgive me. Forgive us. We pray that in an angry world, we would be a people of peace, reflecting the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus, the one whom you sent, the one who is our life. Oh, make it so, we pray, for the glory of your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.